Welcome to the podcast from Plum Creek Community Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Thanks for downloading my dad. I hope as you listen, you are challenged and encouraged by his message. Good morning. How are you? Did you guys notice Gary's subtle purple today? Did you notice that? It's very subtle. So here's the deal. He's kind of sad, as he has been for the last several times that his Vikings have played my Bears. So if you guys could help me, if you have any good jokes for him, he's just he's going to be out in the lobby. He needs some jokes. Maybe if you have some good ones, you could share that with him. That would be awesome. I'm just kidding. Sorry, Gary. I do like your purple shirt. It's fine. It's good. It's good. Well, we're hey, we're in the final week of our series where we have been talking about uh, this topic and the misunderstood topic of what a Christian is really all about. Um, this term, and, and, and we're going to wrap it up today. I've got to be honest, I, I, we very rarely do a series that lasts eight weeks, right? And so like, I'm kind of ready for our next one. And if that means I am, you are too. But here's reality. Until we figure this out and put it into practice, we probably could make this a 52-weeker because it's what Jesus said. And uh, we're gonna, we've been looking at what Jesus said because there's such misunderstandings about what it means to be a Christ follower in our world around us. And a lot of times it's because of what we've done or not done. And so today we're going to wrap this up just a little bit. We have a significant brand problem. The reality of what the world thinks of us sometimes kind of flows into this idea that Christians are a bunch of judgmental, homophobic moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven and are secretly happy that everyone else is going to hell. Isn't that great? Don't you love to be that horribly misunderstood? Isn't that, that's just, that's not okay with me. I guarantee you it's not okay with you. Uh, in week two, Gary told this amazing story of this author named Anne Rice. And she was an atheist and she came to faith and she wrote about her journey. And then she um, got involved in church and then she left church. She said, I still love Jesus. It's just the church is so hard for me. And she said this, that Christians are quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious. Like, we don't even know what that means, right? Like, that's awesome. Like, I am? What does it mean, you know? Disputatious and deservedly infamous group. Let me just ask you this. Have you ever had a situation in your life where someone completely and totally misunderstood you? Have you ever had that happen? Just kind of nod your head if you have. Feels good, doesn't it? Like you want to be vindicated, don't you? You want to have a chance to clear up the mistakes or clear up the misunderstandings or the misnomer. You want to get it fixed, don't you? And sometimes we'll go to all kinds of extents to try and clear up what people have somehow misunderstood. That's what this series has been about. There's a misunderstanding in our culture today about what it means to be a Christian. And we want to fix it. We want to be passionate about fixing that here at our church. We discovered that sometimes the problem is this label. You can be a Christian and believe anything, fight for anything, vote for anything. Everywhere you turn, there's Christians. They've gone to war with each other, and we wonder why there's a branding problem. The term is that, or the reality is that this term Christian was never even described or defined in, or wasn't defined in Scripture. Jesus called his followers something else, and that's disciples. And so we've been talking about, here's what I love about Jesus' teaching, though. This is so cool, that, that we can get hung up in the wrong spots, but this is how Jesus taught. He defined what it means to follow him, But the definition wasn't necessarily a theological definition. 
Of course, we derive theology from some of the things he said, but he wasn't describing it theologically. He wasn't describing it philosophically. What Jesus did when he talked about what it meant to be a Christ follower was that he described it to us in practical terms, in practical application. This is what it means to follow Jesus. If you dive into Jesus' teaching and decide to do it his way, things become very very clear. There's no doubt about it that when Jesus taught, he taught us how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to believe, what we're supposed to do, and especially, he taught us how we're supposed to treat one another. And he said that this will help make all the difference in this world. When Jesus gathered his followers together at the very end, and he'd he'd spent so much time with these disciples, and he loved them dearly. He He knew his time on earth was coming short, and the foundation for this series over the last several weeks has been this very passionate um, kind of deployment speech that Jesus gave to his followers. They were sharing a meal together that we, many of us will know, was called the Passover meal. And it was the last meal that he was going to share with them. And he wanted to boil down his ministry to this, to give them these marching orders. And out of all the things that Jesus could have said, he boiled it down to this statement. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Think about all of the things that this world says about Christians. I'm not sure if I've ever asked anybody, what do you you think it means to be a Christian and to have the first thing that comes out of their mouth be, oh, dude, they love great. They just, they love differently. They care about people and you can tell they love God. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard. Well, what's the problem? When Jesus left, he said this. You remember when you were a little kid and somebody would make a bold statement and you'd be like, prove it. You remember when you do that? Prove it, right? And now we're adults and so we don't do that. Um, we, we just don't say it, right? We just don't say it. In our minds, people make some outlandish claim and we're like, <laughs> you feel like a third grader again. <laughs> prove it. That's what we want to say. What did Jesus say here? Jesus said in his teaching, if you want to prove that you are my father, you want to prove it, this is how you do it. By the way you love. You will prove to the world that you are my disciples by your love for one another. I want people to say, oh, they must be followers of Jesus. Not by what they believe. Do you hear that? Oh, oh, yeah, Christ's followers, man, they believe good. Believe really good. They're good believers. Not by what you do on Sunday morning, coming to these cozy little seats here in Theater 8. That's not what it's about. It's more than that. I want people to identify you and describe you and to describe me as a follower of Jesus based on one thing, the way you treat each other, the way we treat one another as Christ followers, but also the way we treat this world around us. Jesus was asked all kinds of questions, and this is some of the foundational basis of our church. There's over 600 different laws from the Old Testament. Last week we talked about laws to help us from breaking other laws. They were all confused about the intent of the commander. And so what is the most important commandment? They asked, and he said this just so simply. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This would be great verses for you to memorize. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. And, and don't forget to read or to memorize verse 40 as well. The entire law, all 600 and whatever commandments there are, and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two things. Basically, Jesus said, keep it simple. Two things, love God, love people. Do you know what that means? That every day, all throughout your day, whatever you're doing, when you are in a situation, maybe you're in a situation with a group of friends, or maybe it's in a relationship with your wife or your husband, or in those circumstances that we all face when we're raising our children, if it has to do with your ethics or your morality, whatever it is, you filter it through this filter of am I loving God with all of my heart and am I loving people with all of my heart? And while Christians are quick to look for ways around the simplicity of Jesus' teaching, true Christ followers, disciples, they don't look for loopholes. So last week we asked this question, what does love require of me? And if we could use that question, it would challenge us differently. Here's why Jesus' teaching in his words, love God, love people, are so amazing and they're so brilliant. Here's why that question is so important. There are two types, two categories of people that have profoundly impacted your life. Two of them. Those that have hurt you and those that have loved you. Two kinds of people. And if you think carefully about the way that you live, your psyche, if you think about the way that you go through circumstances and situations, your thoughts, all of that stuff, a lot of times those things are a direct result of how you have been treated how people have treated you, those that have hurt you and those that have loved you. You are who you are because of those doses of hurt, those doses of rejection, and those doses of love and acceptance that you have received. Many times your security and your confidence, your emotional health are typically a result of all of this. For some of you, you have been passionate about healing some of those past wounds that you've had in your life and if you've gone to counseling, which I highly recommend, everybody can benefit from counseling, the, one of the things they will do is kind of dig into some of that stuff. How have you been treated in a positive way and in a negative way? We'll unpack that so that you can think about how that has changed your life and impacted your life. Here's what's interesting. You see, it didn't matter, people that hurt you and people that were treated you well, it didn't matter that they were church-going people, did it? Because even people that weren't church-going people have the same strength to impact your life in a positive or a negative way. What, it didn't really matter what they believed, is what I'm saying. Would you agree? It was really what they did that impacted you. What mattered when the rubber met the road was how you were treated or how you were mistreated. This is so significant. Men, now listen, listen carefully. Men with incredible understanding of Scripture, maybe even theologically trained, have mistreated their spouses and abused their children. They knew it here, but it didn't change the way they behave. Women who taught Sunday school for many, 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 many years have abandoned their families, their husbands, and their children. You and I know because we've read about it and heard about it on the news. There are jail cells all over our country that have people that don't look good in orange, that are theologically trained and served in the local church as pastors and priests, theologically trained, that have mistreated people and as a result have found their way to jail. However, 
there are also a different group of people. They could be people that are fathers or mothers or coaches or teachers, grandparents and youth pastors and group leaders who have spoken life and approval into you and it's changed you. It wasn't necessarily that they were good believers, that they knew stuff. It was about what they did and about how they treated you and you're different today because of it. Man, I'm 44 years old. 44 years old, and I can look back and think about this guy. If I close my eyes, I can rewind back to seventh grade history class. To my teacher, his name was Mr. O'Neill. And this week, I've decided that one of my responses is to go back and look him up and find him and let him know how much of an impact he had on my life. Mr. O'Neill. You want to know what he called me? Every day. Never forget it. Rent-a-car superstar. That's who I was to him. He had a nickname for everybody. Now, I'm 44. Why do I still remember that I'm Rent-A-Car Superstar? It's a great little cool rhyme. I don't even know what it means. Like Rent-A-Car Superstar. I don't get it. But that's who I was. And I want you to know I was proud to be Rent-A-Car Superstar. Mr. O'Neill had worked for UPS for I don't even know how many years. Driving trucks, great career, good benefits. Some of you know, what a great job. He gave all of that up to go teach at a, at a really small Christian school in Worthington, Ohio. And I remember the first day that I walked into his class. This guy, he just changed my day. He was so fun, and he made history cool. Like, that's amazing. And he had all these cool rhymes and he had names for all the kids in the class and we laughed and we had fun and we memorized dates that we didn't even know we could memorize and we learned about stuff. He just, you know what? That was in the early 80s. I looked it up this week. He's still teaching at that same junior high. Now, I hope he hasn't given somebody my name. <laughs> but I'm going to find out this week. <laughs> Mr. O'Neill changed me. He impacted my life. He was one of our coaches at that school. So I remember taking the field with Coach O'Neill. And I remember how positive he was. I was a horrible baseball player. But he made me think I was good. Mr. O'Neill was a special, special man. And still today, you know, I can't remember a lot of my teacher's names even. But because of what he did, the things that he said, the life that he breathed into me, somebody that didn't need to do that, but understood the power of it, because of the way he behaved towards me, it impacted me. It changed me. I believe things about myself because he told me I needed to. His voice was powerful in my life. These people that I'm talking about have fostered and adopted and cared and taught and prayed and believed and spoke truth and were encouraging. And just for whatever reason, I don't understand why, they're just relentlessly present in our lives. I think about Mr. O'Neill. That's a long time ago that he made that commitment to teach at a junior high school, and he's still there. Some of you in this room understand that because you're teachers too. Let me, can I challenge you with something if you're a teacher? Your voice is so powerful in your students' lives. And I know students don't always make it easy to do what you do. But will you fight that battle well? Will you speak life into your students? And understand it's not about in your classroom what you believe, it's how you behave that will impact those kids' lives. And someday, 
however many years later, 30-something years later, you still want your students talking about you. Impact their lives. Change their lives. If you coach, same thing. If you're a teacher, if you're whatever it is that you're involved with, just remember this. It's, it's when you're relentlessly present, the way that we treat other people often has more to do with impacting their lives than the things that we believe do. Somewhere along the way, Jesus' followers shifted their focus from how we behave to what we believe. And it was a dangerous shift. From what we believe or for what we behave, for how we behave to how we believe, from the intent of the commander to the letter of the command. And when we get this wrong, we're not going to impact this world the way. See, Jesus' message did not impact the world because we believed it. It's because it changed behavior and it impacted the way that we did life. Listen carefully. Jesus came to make a difference, not a point. He didn't come to have a good point. He came to change this world. He didn't say, a new command I give to you, believe correctly. Did he say that? He didn't say it. He didn't say, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you believe correctly. So my main thought for this weekend as we wrap up this series and kind of put the exclamation point at the end of this series that we've been in together is this. Believing is much easier than behaving. Believing is much easier than behaving. When the church first started and when Jesus launched this movement, it was all about how you love. It was about these people that just loved differently, but over time, it became something that you believe. If we could simply do what Jesus did instead of arguing about what he said, the world would change. Listen to that again. If you and I would simply do what Jesus did instead of arguing about what Jesus said, we would change the world. This town would be different. Your home would be different. The people around you's lives would be different. To believe is easy. It requires almost nothing. We're missing the point when we become content solely on believing correctly. And that's part of the brand problem that you and I face. Oh, yeah, I believe. I believe. You know, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe the Bible's good. It's good. But it doesn't change the way you behave. There's virtually no impact on the world around us as a result. You see, disciples are not content until they've made a a difference in the world. And Jesus told us this happens when we love like he loved. That's why what Jesus said is so extraordinarily profound. It's why what Jesus said becomes so vitally important to the way that we live and the way that our church does its thing in this community. Here's what I know to be true. This is our greatest play. The most powerful thing that we can do to impact this town of Castle Rock, that you can do to change your home and your neighborhood or your place of work, This is your greatest opportunity. This is the greatest leverage that we have to love well, to love like Jesus loved. Not to just believe that that's important, but to actually do it. So here's what I want to do over the next couple of minutes. I want to make it as simple as I know how. I want to make three statements, and I want you to write them down. And I want you to think about how it impacts the way you behave. What does love require of us? How do I love God and love others well? 
First thing is that you don't do anything that will hurt yourself. You don't do anything that will hurt yourself. You belong to God. Let me try and explain this just a little bit more. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 19, it says, <coughs> Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you, uh, and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Love requires of you and I that we don't do anything that will hurt ourselves. And let me explain that to you. It's because, it's because we belong to God. Love requires of you that you never make a moral decision, a physical decision, a sexual decision, an ethical decision, a relational decision, a professional decision, without realizing that this decision, if it hurts you, is going to hurt somebody else too. Your reputation... The things that you do to yourself that might be hurtful to yourself are also impacting the name of our God. It's just the way it works. So many times we think our lives are done in a vacuum and that it's only us that are impacted by the things that we do. None of this happens in a vacuum. It's not just about you. It's not just your life, your words, your world, your relationship, your profession, your reputation. That's what we think too much of the time that somehow this is happening exclusively just to us. Here's how I know this is true. With my kids, if one of my kids, if Megan comes home and she's had a tough day and someone was hurtful or said something that wasn't, wasn't kind or if something didn't go right in the classroom or whatever, and she's got a heavy heart, she's got tears, you know, that impacts me. It impacts me greatly. Why? Because I'm her daddy. If one of the kids get hurt physically, man, I almost can feel it myself because I love them so much. If one of my kids makes a bad decision, man, it, it impacts my heart because they're my kids. The same is true with our Heavenly Father. Like when we make bad decisions and we, we do things that would harm ourselves, ultimately that's hurting the heart of our Heavenly Father as well, and it's impacting His reputation it's much easier to believe than it is to behave. Love requires of us that we take care of ourselves so that we can take care of those that are depending on us. Here's, here's how this plays out. Because not only when we, when we somehow mistreat ourselves or allow stuff to creep into our lives that shouldn't be there, um, we're eventually breaking the second requirement that love has of us too. And that's that we that we will also don't, not do anything that will hurt others because they also belong to God. I'm not talking about military stuff or law enforcement stuff. That's The New Testament totally explains that. Never use your Christianity and your theology as an excuse to hurt someone. Don't stalk or lie or cheat or gossip or pressure people, deceive people, tempt another person because when we do these things, we're impacting other people in a negative way and it's not the way that Christ has called us to live. So we love and treat others the way we want to be loved and the way that we treat them. Let me kind of unpack that a little bit more. Finally, love requires of us that we're not mastered by anything because God is our master. If you're mastered by something, you're going to find it very difficult to love well. When you're mastered by something, you do, when your appetites rule you, 
We oftentimes think of that in terms of our sexuality, but it's, it's also in terms of our, of our finances and what is it that rules you in your life. So many times we're owned by the things that we own. We need to think about how we're being mastered by things in our lives and how those things have, um, have a direct result to the, to the people that we're in relationships with. You can't love well as long as you're mastered. So no one should have to compete with your past, with your temper, with your anger, with your alcohol, with your drug addiction, with your shopping addiction, with your porn addiction, with your golf game. It's interesting that's in the same sentence as all the rest of those. Your rage, your depression, your need to be needed. Whatever it looks like, we all have stuff in our lives that would, if we're not careful, would be things that could master us. And we need to, I, I can't even tell you how many times in the last week I've made this statement. <clears throat> Two unhealthy people aren't going to somehow magically make a healthy marriage. It's not going to happen. So what do we do? We focus on being as healthy as we can be. Because when we bring health to our relationships, it helps our relationships become healthy. So there are things that you have carried, that I have carried, that we need to work through. And I want you to know I am a huge advocate of good, strong biblical counseling because it will help you. And if you're dealing with issues and things that have mastered you, and if you're not careful, you know will master you, you need to deal with those things so that they they won't impact and and, and, uh, be so powerful in causing problems in our relationships. Love requires a lot of us. And I, the, the whole heart behind this series is that we keep it simple, that we don't make this something that it's not. It's, it's easier to believe than it is to behave. But when you believe what Jesus said and you really become one of his followers and you become a disciple of his that says, you tell me where to go. I'm gonna take my marching orders from Jesus. And when he says, live this way, talk this way, act this way, do relationships this way, do finances, then we're in and we do it what Jesus has told us to do. But ultimately, here's the danger. Here's the danger in this series. Here's the danger in this last challenge from this series, that it's easy for us to be sitting in this room today going, oh, dear Lord, I am so glad my husband is here today. Boy, he really needed to hear that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I hope he's listening, right? We're husbands, we do the same thing, right? We're like, oh, geez, boy, I hope she heard that one. <laughs> Man, you know what she's probably thinking? She's probably thinking, she wishes I would have heard it. But boy, she needed to hear it, right? Or some of us are thinking now about opening a new Gmail account so we can anonymously you know, forward the link to somebody that needed to really hear this sermon or hear this series, right? We all do this. I get that all the time. People go, how fast can I get a CD? I need to mail it to somebody. (laughs) Which I get it. I get it. We want to send helpful things to other people. I understand that. But the danger might be that we shift into like, oh my gosh, this has been so good. I want someone else to hear it. That we forget that it applies to our life. We get so focused on it. What if we just decided to let Jesus take care of them and and we would feel some responsibility about taking care of ourselves? That we would ask of God, man, this has been pretty powerful and I feel partly responsible for the misbrand of what it means to love Jesus. And so I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to figure out how it could apply to my life. How I could make my life look a little bit differently. 
when we as Christ followers, when we as the church understand, when we understand that this is what we have to leverage, loving well, and that that is our greatest play, that is the greatest opportunity we have to impact and change this world, if we will understand that the way we love is the game changer. Guys, we've lost our leverage in our culture. We're going backwards instead of going forwards. And God wants his church, God wants you personally to be on the offensive, not the defensive. And it's such a sad thing that when someone asks you about who you are, that one of the first things we have to do is explain our perspective of what it means to be a Christ follower. Man, I love the Lord. I'm a Christian. Before you like get thinking, let me tell you what I want you to think when you think about me following Jesus. Let me explain it to you. Now, if you give me a chance, it's not just going to be what comes out of here, but it's going to be what you experience and see in the way that I behave. And then they're like, all right, prove it to me. And then they watch carefully. Because people want to know that you and I are the real deal. That doesn't mean we're perfect and we never make a mistake. But it does mean if we make a mistake, we go back and make it right because we know that the challenge from our commander is that we love him well and we love others well. You see, once upon a time, there was a handful of people called disciples. They had spent time with Jesus and this group began to grow. These people followed Jesus' teachings. All they had, they didn't have the New Testament written, they were writing the New Testament. All they had was the marching orders from Jesus to love well. That was it. And could you imagine Jesus' last couple of days? Well, I gotta go, guys. I'm going back to heaven. And they're like, what do you, I don't get it. What are you talking about? He goes, I'm going back to heaven. That's the way this is going to work. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise again. They're all like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then I'm like going to just like, I'm going back. And they're like, wait a minute. Not everybody has heard the cool stories that you tell. Not everybody has seen the miracles that you do. And just not everybody's heard your challenge. And there's a lot more Pharisees and teachers of the law that need you to punch them in the jaw, Jesus. You can't leave yet. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. There's something more powerful than that. Like, I know that's great, but here's what's going to happen. A whole bunch of people growing in number are going to love our Heavenly Father well and are going to love each other well. It's, it's going to change the world. What? That seems like a harebrained plan to me. But if you think about why you're sitting here today, and why you have a love for God today is because somebody did that. You saw them love God well, and you saw them treat you well, and it changed you. And if we lose track of this, we lose track of our mission. This is how a culture will be influenced and changed when the people of Castle Rock see marriages that are profoundly different, relationships that have true life to them that are profoundly different, when they see the way you live, the things that you do, if what characterizes you is this life that Jesus called us to live, 
if it ever characterized the local church again, that we love well, that we're passionate about God and we're passionate about people, the leverage would be more powerful than anything we could imagine. You see, it's not going to happen. And I know this. It bothers me that this is true. You need to hear it. Like, Castle Rock's not going to be changed, guys, by good preaching. Now, that bothers me. Because I want to be a good preacher. And I want that to change our town. That's not the way it works. The way it works is by us understanding it's not necessarily exclusively about what we believe, but it's about how we behave. And when we do it Jesus' way, it changes this world around us. So my challenge as we finish up this this series on what it means to be a Christ follower is this. Will you please, will you please listen to the voice of God in your heart and be an authentic Christ follower by the way you behave? I so desperately want us to be that church that is known by not what we believe, about what we do, that it's changed us from the inside out. And if we try and leverage anything other than God's incredible love and our incredible love for him and for others, we lose our leverage. But, but if we get this right, it will change us, and it will change our town, and it will change our world. We you bow your heads? Father, I thank you for this series. I pray that you will help each of us to live with this understanding that if Jesus said it, we're going to do it. We're not going to overcomplicate it. We're going to keep it simple. Lord, will you help us to grow in our love for you? That in the midst of our day, Lord, we won't get so caught up in all the busyness of the things that we have to do to forget to spend some time with you. Help us to love you well. Not so that we can know what it is that we're to believe, but that God so it would practically impact our lives in such a way that it would change the way we behave. Or do you help us to be known for the right things, not the wrong things? Will you somehow help us to be part of the solution to a brand that has gone bad? Lord, help us to clear up those misunderstandings. Help us, regardless of what we do, to be like Mr. O'Neill, caring about people deeply, investing, loving well, inspiring, challenging, Lord, and loving the way that you've called us to love. Lord, for those in this room that have been mistreated or hurt by someone who wore the label Christian, Maybe they were invited to come here today. Lord, I pray that you will help them in the depths of their heart to know that Christians that have done things wrong are not a good reflection of our Heavenly Father and that those experiences aren't a reflection of the experience that you want us to have in our relationship with you. <clears throat> in spite of our failures and our mistakes, Lord, I pray that you will, you will help touch hearts that have been wounded, that you will help us to understand Lord, your passion for us is that we would love well. And even in situations where that hasn't happened, your heart's desire and your intent is that that wouldn't cloud our perspective of a God that wants to love us well. 
Lord, I pray for those that are hesitant, that hold back because of how they've been treated. Lord, I ask today that you will make your love very, very real to them. They will understand we serve an incredible God. That it's not so much what we believe, although that's important, but not exclusively important because what we believe must change the way we behave. If you're in this room and you're saying to yourself, I'm ready to sign up for that, I don't want to just be a believer. I want to be a behavior. Would you do this for me today? Would you just say, God, this has been a good series, and I acknowledge that there are some things that I need to do just simply by raising my hand right now here today. Everybody keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Man, lots of hands up. If you know you need to just take it and put this in action, shoot your hand up real quick. God, will you see those hands? Those are representative. You can put them down of hearts. Will you help us to do it your way? For those today that have made that decision and they've been holding back because of hurt, God, come in, pour into their life today. Help them to show us how to do it well. We thank you for what you've done for us that would give us a chance to be in right relationship with you. And today, God, we declare together, each of us in this room, we want you to be the Lord of our lives and to help us to live this life in a way that would honor your name. Help us to fix our branding issue, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.